This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. Transition, Pritchard pulls up for three, yeah! Pritchard makes it 52 to 37. 10 points for Pritchard. Timeout, Buffs. And welcome into the Quack Attack on 102.9750, the game, the first Quack Attack of the 2018 calendar year, the first Quack Attack of the college basketball season for Oregon men's hoops. I'm your host, Judah Newby. We'll be coming your way each and every Wednesday night of the Oregon Duck men's basketball season as they've ushered themselves two games into conference play, and then we'll take on the Oregon State Beavers Friday night in Corvallis in the first edition of the Civil War. Good evening, Duck fans, and all of you listening in the greater Portland area, and welcome. You can follow us on Twitter at 1029thegame. You can tweet at us using the hashtag QuackAttack, and you can tweet at me, at Judah Newby. We'll be talking Oregon basketball. We'll be talking Pac-12 hoops. We'll be talking about college basketball around the country at large each and every Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. right here. Coming up on today's debut show for the 2018 season, Tyson Alger of the Oregonian and Oregon Live will join us. That's coming up in our second segment, and he will break down everything that's been going around this Oregon team so far this year. And most recently, their victory over Colorado on Sunday. But a couple nights prior to that, they stumbled with a 10-point loss to Utah at a game in which they had an 8-point lead and really got dominated in the second half. But they rebounded with a nice win over the Buffaloes. Now they're getting ready to take on a Beaver squad that's actually been playing pretty darn well this year. A 9-5 and overall record, 1-1 one and one to their start in Pac-12 play as well, including a win over Colorado. So Ducks and Beavers will meet in Corvallis Friday night. And then next week, Oregon gets really tested with a pair of tough road games at Arizona State, at University of Arizona. And then they'll return home for three straight home games in a row in the middle of January. So we'll talk to Tyson all about that and and how the Ducks have looked up to this point on the hardwood. And speaking of Ducks on the hardwood, got to give a shout out to a new show that will be coming up next Tuesday night. It will be debuting 8 to 10 p.m. each and every week on Tuesday nights of the Duck basketball season with Brandon Droz and A.C. Coleman called Ducks Hardwood. So we've got you covered. We are your home of Oregon Duck football, of course, but we're also your exclusive home of Oregon Duck basketball every single game from the Oregon IMG Network. Plus, you've got tip-off Tuesday with Joey Mack. You've got the coach's corner there. Dana Altman will speak on these airwaves every Tuesday night, and then that leads you into Ducks Hardwood. And then, of course, I've got you with the Quack Attack each and every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Chris Barty is my man, pushing the buttons and running the show behind the board as well. Again, we mentioned Tyson Alger will join us in a few minutes. Danny Moran, also of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, he'll join us in the final segment of tonight's one-hour program, giving us a Beaver's perspective on the Civil War that coming up on Friday. Oregon State really rounding into form a lot better than they were this time a season ago, and it sure helps to have a healthy Trace Tinkle and really an emerging player in the front court in Drew Eubanks. As for the Oregon Ducks, what do they look like so far? Now, if you're anything like me, I, I love college basketball, very passionate about it, but 
as is the case with fandom of any sport in any season, you know, you get really invested and interested in it for the first couple of weeks at the beginning, and then that kind of wanes a little bit, especially in the college basketball calendar where it will open up and you can get excited in early November. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, you've got those big premiere events, including, of course, PK-80 that was out here at Moda Center and Veterans Coliseum over Thanksgiving. But then football, college football and the NFL take 100% center stage the NBA does so around Christmas, and college basketball is always kind of on that back burner. We're, we're aware it exists. Every now and then, a 10th-ranked Kansas will lose at home like they did last night to Texas Tech, and we're like, oh, that's right, college basketball is going on this time of year. But you know, we're really making the transition from non-conference play into early portions of conference play right now. But really, when college basketball starts making a lot of the headlines, at least on the court, as far as results are concerned— that won't happen until February, early March with conference tournament play, and then, of course, which Mar- with March Madness in late March and early April. That being said, these are important moments of the college basketball calendar. These are moments that we will be looking back to in February, in March, and saying, hey, these were turning points of the seasons for certain teams, or these were points of the seasons where teams discovered their identity and so here tonight on the debut edition of quack attack i kind of want to step back and look at the sample size that oregon basketball has produced through their first 15 games of the season sitting at 11 and 4 with those four losses you see the overall win-loss record and it's not all that bad from a standpoint of wins and losses but their strength of schedule was pretty darn soft and if you're a duck fan you were hoping for something more closer to 12 and 3 or 13 and 2 the four losses included, you know, tripping up to UConn, who's a solid program, but under Kevin Ali, they haven't really reached their peak that they used to have under Jim Calhoun. It's still a solid program, but it's not great. You had to go to overtime in order to beat DePaul. A DePaul program, I'll grant you, is also on the rise, but certainly is not at the level that you would expect them to go to overtime with Oregon, especially not out here in the state of Oregon. Uh, you also trip up at home to Boise State. And that was a tough one to swallow because it snapped the 46-game home win streak that Oregon had, which at the time was the best in the country. Boise State winning on a half-court buzzer beater to win that game at Matthew Knight Arena in early December. And then, of course, you had Oregon uh, falling on Friday night to Utah, a game that they held an eight-point lead at halftime. Then the Utes blitzed them, shooting 26, or they shot over 50% from the floor in the second half of that game, the Utes did. Whereas Oregon couldn't buy a bucket, Utes steal that victory at MKA on Friday night. Oregon kind of refound themselves against Colorado on Sunday, but... As Tyson Alger is going to help us explain, you know, this is not the point of the season that Oregon can afford to have splits with conference foes at home. This is the point of the season where they have to flex on those inferior opponents and get those home sweeps. They were unable to as conference play has commenced. Now is a very difficult part of the schedule, and that includes Friday against Oregon State. The Beavers will not be an easy out, especially not at Gill Coliseum. All right, we'll go ahead and go to break here. On the other side, Tyson Alger of the Oregonian and Oregon Life. He will join us. He'll synthesize the first 15 games of Oregon's schedule to date. He'll also tell us what he thinks about the NCAA infractions that Oregon self-incurred, self-reported, and where that might be able to go from here. He'll also preview the matchup on Friday against the Beavers. Tyson Alger joins us next. This is the Quack Attack with Judah Newby here on 1029 750 The Game.
This is Quack Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 the game. Richard shakes loose, takes a three switch. At the buzzer, Peyton Pritchard makes it 37 to 28. Might not have been exactly how Oregon drew it up, but Pritchard shook loose and got himself a three. A season ago as a freshman, the West Lynn native Peyton Pritchard averaged about seven points a game for this Oregon basketball squad. And now he's averaging over 15 points a game as he's taking a leading a leadership role as a true sophomore and the starting point guard. We're going to talk about Peyton's development from year one to year two and a whole lot more. Welcome back to the Quack Attack, the first edition of the college basketball season here on 102.9750 The Game. I'm Judah Newby. Chris Parti is behind the board. And right now we're going to go out to the phones and be joined by the man who covers the beat for all things Oregon athletics for the Oregonian and Oregon Life. He is Tyson Alger. Tyson, good to talk to you, man. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Did you get to do anything exciting? Nothing. Just uh, I just sat here and waited for this civil war to happen. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> well, it's certainly an intense matchup. So uh, waiting around, yeah. you know, and it just <laughs> adds to the drama right now. Let's start with the Ducks. Um, you know, this being the first quack attack basketball edition of the season and Oregon entering into the 2018 calendar part of their season. How would you characterize it so far for the Ducks under Dana Altman with an 11 and four overall record and one and one in the Pac-12? Yeah, that. I mean, if someone were to just look at that record of 11 and four, I think a lot of people would would read that as being uh, kind of optimistic about how the season's been. But it's it's definitely had its ups and downs. Um, I, you know, I, I think people, uh, um, and probably including myself, got a little. Uh, bought a little too into kind of the hype of some of these freshmen coming in, like Troy Brown and Kenny Wooten and so on. And uh, that, that's not to say they haven't played well. It's just it's really hard to replace three NBA players from a team that played in the Final Four last year. I, I think the Ducks are going through some growing pains. Uh, they struggled through the PK-80 tournament. Uh, they had a nice rebound to close out uh, the non-conference season. But, um, you know, you can look at that, their game against Utah last week in which they led by eight at the half and then ended up losing uh, pretty handedly uh, to the Utes is kind of a, a example of how this team has played this year. At times they look very, very good, and at other times they just uh, are definitely displaying their youth on the court, and that's, that's kind of where Oregon stands right now is uh, talent-wise. I, I still think they're uh, a, a very good, uh, a very talented team. It's just uh, they're definitely going through some growing pains right now, and, and you've seen that in the losses to uh, some teams that uh, are, are going to make it tough for Oregon uh, to get to the NCAA tournament if they don't start uh, playing well here uh, in Pac-12 play. You alluded to so much personnel turnover from a season ago to this year's team. How has Dana Altman gone about kind of handling and managing this roster with so many new faces? You know, that, that's that's the tough thing for them because right now Peyton Pritchard is the most experienced player on the team within Altman's offense, but uh, other than that, it, it's all new faces. You know, the other returners like Keith Smith and Roman Sorkin, they've played a, a bit this year, but they're not key pieces in this lineup. So at, at times, you know, if Pritchard's on the bench, you got five guys playing with each other that have never played a minute with each other before the year. Before the year. So uh, that's been kind of uh, the struggle for Altman and in, in, in implementing his, his systems, getting everyone on the same page defensively. Um, it, it really reminds me of uh, the 2014-15 season when Dylan Brooks and Jordan Bell were freshmen, and there were so many new pieces on that team led by Joseph Young. 
uh, they ended up making the tournament and really kind of riding the back of Young that season. And, and that's the one thing we quite quite haven't seen with this Oregon team right now is um, as as they are learning how to play with each other and going through all, all these kind of learning uh, phases, they don't really have that one player that's taking over games like the Ducks have in the past. And so that's uh, I really think that's kind of what Oregon's uh, missing right now as, as they kind of learn to play together. Tyson Elgin. Tyson Alger of the Oregonian and Oregon Live joining us here on 102.9750 The Game. If we're talking best and worst moments so far of the Ducks season, and, you know, I'm a fatalist, so let's start with the worst moments so far <laughs> of the uh, of the Ducks season. That includes four losses. What comes to mind for you? You know, I think that Utah game uh, just, uh, just last week, um, to that point, the, the Ducks had recovered pretty nicely from the PK-80 tournament. Uh, that, that that was a pretty disappointing tournament, but if you go back and look at it, one of those losses to Oklahoma, at the time Oklahoma wasn't ranked, but now they're one of the hottest teams in college basketball with arguably the best player in college basketball in Trey Young, and, and definitely contended. And so that doesn't look as bad. So they, they rebounded, I think they oh, and then come into their Pac-12 opener against a Utah team that isn't as good as some of the Utah teams that we've seen in the past. But still a, a top 100 opponent. I think they were number 60 in RPI, which is a, a win that Oregon didn't have at the time. Um, and they come out uh, firing in the first half. They're up by eight at the break, and then they lost the lead in the first 90 seconds of the second half. It was They were outscored by 18 points in the second. Uh, they, they just looked lost offensively, which is something that was really surprising to Altman because he expects them to – uh, struggle on defense as, as they're learning to play together there. But all these kids are talented scorers, and uh, that was just kind of, the I think, the, the worst part of the season so far where you had kind of failures on both ends of the court. And, um, you know, that, that turned a, a weekend series and against Utah and Colorado in which Oregon was, in my opinion, better than both of those teams and turned it into a split. And right now Oregon can't really afford to split against teams that uh, they should be. Let's flip it around and talk about best moments so far of the young season. They do have 11 wins. What is the best that Oregon has looked to you at this point? You know, I actually, and, and this is something that I would have called myself crazy at the start of the season for saying, but the, for them being able to handle Portland State uh, the way they did, uh, I'm, it, you know, it wasn't a blowout, but they were in control most of that game. Portland State's been a very good team this year. They, they've played a lot of teams, a lot of really good teams, tough. Uh, um, and uh, it's just I, I think that could have been a game that Oregon could have lost, and, and they were able to win that. And if you go through their, their wins, like there aren't a ton of impressive wins that are going to necessarily show up in March when uh, the committee is, is looking between resumes, but I will give Oregon credit. They have won a lot of close games, and I do think that is something that's tough for young teams to do is, is to be able to have a lead there and, and hold on to it late in games. So, um, you know, not a whole lot of impressive wins so far, but I, I like I like that win over Portland State. Looking at some individual players on this year's team, the transition that Peyton Pritchard has made from impact freshman point guard on a Final Four team to sophomore leader, you know, can we qualify a sophomore as a leader given his role on this team? What have you made from year one to year two for Peyton Pritchard? Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of pressure on him. Uh, last year, if if, if Peyton Pritchard were to go off for 15 points last year, that's completely gravy for that team. And and he was able to uh, you know kind of pick his spots last year. Um, a lot of times he was left wide open, and, and he showed a, a tendency of making big shots. He had a really that really big shot in the UCLA win that uh, helped set up the Dylan Brooks game winner. So 
Uh, last year, Pritchard played an important part of the, on the team, but he didn't play the most important part. And so this season, uh, you know, he kind of has to be that guy that, you know, goes out and fills up for 15 points plus a night. But uh, a lot of teams are keying in on him. Uh, I, I think, you know, he and the rest of the team are still getting used to, um, you know, picking picking spots for him to when he's either going to shoot or drive. At, at times, uh, his shot's been off, but uh, there have been a couple games this year where he's he's absolutely gone off, and he's a he's a very talented player. Um, but they just need to be able to get that consistency out of him that you kind of saw last year and the years prior with like a Dylan Brooks type. Because uh, right now Pritchard is kind of Oregon's Dylan Brooks, and uh, uh, right now they uh, they certainly need him and everyone else to be better. Oregon had impeccable rim protection a season ago with Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher when Boucher was healthy. This year, that really was a question on the roster. What has the emergence of Kenny Wooten been like in the middle for this Duck defense? He really seems to be making an impact. Oh, that's that's absolutely huge for Oregon. Uh, last year, you lose Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher, and two of the best shot blockers in school history. Um, and I know they were really high on Wooten coming, uh, coming out of his recruiting class, but uh, right now he's on pace to break. Bells. Uh, I think he's on pace to break the season, the single season blocks record. He, he's been fantastic. He's he's a, a similar build to Bell. He's six foot nine, um, kind of plays a similar offensive game too. But boy, he is so long uh, with his arms and his legs, and he can jump out of the gym. Uh, he he's a very very talented player, and I, I believe over the last six games he's had three or more blocks in every single game. Uh, he's leading the Pac-12. He would be leading the Pac-12 in shooting efficiency if he was if he got more shots. But right now he's under the minimum for that, and that's something that I really think that you'll see over the coming weeks and maybe months in his development is Oregon giving him the ball a little bit more because uh, while his offensive game isn't as refined as it is on defense, uh, it's it's really hard to guard a six foot nine guy who's that long who is that athletic. I, I think he's so far has been the MVP of the team so this season. Tyson Alger's with us here on the Quack Attack. Uh, Troy Brown Jr., you know, the expectation was one and done for him, impact or instant impact as a freshman. Um, what have you made of his game so far? What do you what do you see in his skill set and has anything been holding him back from reaching his full potential or early in his duck career? You know, we we've certainly seen flashes with him. Uh just in the game against Colorado uh, on uh, Sunday there he had this little crossover from the perimeter uh, where he, he was able to get by his defenders and he came in for a layup and it was a reverse layup and it was it was just a play that as you're watching it you go oh boy a whole not a whole lot of players in this conference can make that play but the thing with Brown is those plays have been relatively few and far between I don't know if it's just him finding comfort in the offense or learning when to pick his spots or, or just when to take over but um, I don't think he's played like a one and done player quite yet um, his, his shot could definitely get better. Um, he, he's he's very athletic. He plays good defense. Uh, I I really like the vision he shows on the court. He's a good passer. But uh, as of right now, you know, if, if he's going to be a one and done guy, you're going to need to see him kind of uh, um, you know perform above average to great basketball on a regular basis. And maybe we're getting that once every couple of games. Now, do keep in mind he did miss a couple of games with a concussion uh, that he suffered in that Oklahoma game. He missed the Boise State game um, with with that concussion. So he's, he's still coming along. He's, uh, I, I would be concerned about him if I'm uh, an Oregon fan. He's, he's very, very talented. He's a really nice kid, too. Um, so I think he'll get there. But, uh, you know, if, if he doesn't end up being a one-and-done, this all kind of sets up for a pretty daunting-looking team next year with the recruiting class they do have coming in.
you know, Tyson, if we expand the picture uh, a little bit bigger and take a look at these uh, NCAA bylaw infractions that the Ducks as a athletic department initially self-reported and specifically for the men's basketball program, um, they committed a couple infractions as well. And the NCAA qualified these as level two infractions on the four level scale. And I know Oregon wants to fight these infractions, uh, at least the degree that they've been qualified. Um, does Oregon have a case to be made here in saying, hey, these aren't significant infractions that we made? And what do we make of these? Is this just lack of attention to detail a couple of times, or is there something more there? Yeah, I, I, th- I think the punishment makes it sound a lot more sinister than it really was. Uh, essentially, uh, the Ducks, I, I mean, it, it's more nuanced than this, but it came down to them having... Uh, an athletic uh, staffer uh, on court during practices and workouts that wasn't supposed to be there. Um, but, I mean, if, if you want to look at the level of infraction they got, they got the same thing thrown at them that North Carolina did for their whole academic thing. And, I, um, you know, I don't really have time to go into the whole UNC thing, but I don't think that's <laughs> apples to apples. I don't think that's apples to apples right there. And the fact that um, it was self-reported by Oregon. I know they were pretty darn surprised that at the level of punishment that the NCAA threw at them. So I expect that to be, I don't, I'm not sure what the timeline for this sort of thing is, but I know Oregon really wants to fight it. And, uh, um, I kind of asked Dana Altman if he was surprised at, uh, uh, the level of punishment that the, they were levied and, you know, he, he gave kind of a politically correct answer, but I think they're all a little miffed at, uh, uh, what happened there, especially considering that everything that happened was uh, self-reported. So, um, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I think it will ultimately be whatever they decide. I think it will be a slap on the wrist. And I mean, these aren't um, violations that I think would, uh, you know, cut scholarships or be any sort of like postseason ban or anything. So I don't think Oregon fans have to worry about that. Couple last things for you, Tyson. I know you've got to vote for the AP Top 25. When you look at what the uh, Pac-12 has produced so far as a conference. Uh, UCLA and Utah currently at the top with 2-0 records, but Arizona State got off to that blistering start, top five ranking. Arizona had that kind of odd start to their season, currently 17th in the country. Uh, what do you kind of make of the Pac-12 landscape as the calendar turns? Uh, here, Arizona State are both really good. Um, I, I think they're as good as their rankings have warranted. I think Arizona State got up to number three, and Arizona has recovered since uh, their uh, – uh, Thanksgiving tournament uh, kind of debacle there. So I think those two teams are very good. After that, the Pac-12 has had a really bad first three months of the schedule. I mean, USC was a team that was supposed to be really good, and they've struggled. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you look at, like, kind of the Utahs, Oregons, um, Cal, UCLA's, those, I think they're all kind of just mishmash middle-of-the-road teams right now. So uh, I do think Arizona and Arizona State are really good. After that, I think it's kind of anybody's guess for how, how the rest of the conference there is going to pan out over the next couple of months. Finally, you look at Friday night's matchup with the Beavers. What kind of stands out to you about Ducks and Beavers getting together right now? Uh, right now, the one thing that stands out is this is a game that actually means a lot for both of these programs. Uh, you know, For the last couple of years, Oregon's been just expected to blow out the Beavers, and Oregon State hasn't had much to play for it. But them getting that win over Colorado, I, I think, is really great especially, you know, with all the injuries and kind of a negative momentum they had a year ago, you know, they have an opportunity here to, uh, you know, start out conference play uh, right. And for Oregon, I mean, this, is, this is as must win of a game as it comes for a team here in early January. And it's just kind of unexpected that it's uh, against an Oregon State team that Oregon's had its number for the last few years. 
He's Tyson Alger of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Follow him on Twitter at Tyson Alger. And he doesn't have a ton of things in common with Damian Lillard of the Trailblazers, but what they do have in common, they're both wheelchair advocates. Uh, I saw that on Twitter, Tyson. Will Cherry to the NBA. <laughs> He'll make it happen. The proud Montana alumnus, Tyson Alger. Tyson, thanks for uh, taking the time. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, Judah. That is Tyson Alger, and uh, appreciate his time. You can follow him on the tweet machine at Tyson Alger. We'll go away. We'll come back, take a whip around the rest of the Pac-12 and college basketball. This is the Quack Attack on 1029-750. The game, Judah Newby here with you. Danny Moran will give us a beaver perspective of the Civil War at 745. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. Eight to shoot. Eight. Only needs two of those seconds. And a chance for three at the line. Can do this. Welcome back to the Quack Attack 102.9750, the game. That highlight, DeAndre Ayton for the University of Arizona. And thought that would be nice to usher in our Around the Pac-12 segment here. First Quack Attack of the college basketball calendar. First one of 2018 as well. Thank you to Tyson Alger of the Oregonian and Oregon Live for joining us a few minutes ago, breaking down where the Oregon Ducks are, 15 games into the season, an 11-4 overall record, 1-1, one and one, an even split so far in Pac-12 play. Danny Moran, also of the Oregonian Oregon Live, he'll join us in 12 minutes' time to do the same for the Oregon State Beavers because they are Oregon's opponent coming up Friday night in Gill Coliseum in Corvallis. As for the rest of the conference, it's been an exciting start to the season for the Pac-12 which is much more than you can say for the end of their season in football. Going 1-8 and eight in their bowl games. Man, that's a whole other animal where the Pac-12 is at with their uh, quality of football right now. But in the, uh, in the basketball arena, you've got UCLA and Utah currently technically at the top of the Pac-12 standings since each school has gone 2-0 and to start. Now, we can certainly expect UCLA and Utah not to finish at the top of the Pac-12 standings uh, especially not UCLA. I think they've got enough holes where they're going to finish about third or fourth at best in this conference. I think pretty clearly the best teams in Pac-12 basketball right now would have to be Arizona State and Arizona. Now, I include Arizona State in that from the simple fact that they're currently third in the AP rankings. They are 12-1 and overall. They made such an offensive surge. Keep in mind, Bobby Hurley, the head coach there, he's got a lot of coaching chops, and uh, he's got his brother doing awesome things at University of Rhode Island, too. You don't have to tell Duck fans that. They went down to the wire with Rhode Island in a second-round game last year. But uh, Bobby's really gotten things rolling for the Sun Devils uh, on the floor in Tempe. 12-1 overall, but 0-1 in Pac-12 play because they lost their conference opener last Saturday at their rival, University of Arizona. If you're talking about Arizona State basketball and you're like, wait a second, the Sun Devils are good at college basketball? What, what is this? First of all, Bobby Hurley is there as the head coach, so everybody recognizes him and his brand and from his days playing under Coach K at Duke with Christian Leitner and Grant Hill and all those guys. Um, he knows how to get the most out of his guys. They've also got an outstanding guard, one of the best guards in the country, so remember this name, Trey Holder. Trey Holder averaging close to 30 points a game. He's going to get All-American status. He had 31 points on Saturday in the loss at Arizona. The problem 
All the other Sun Devil starters in that game combined 10 for 36 from the floor. 10 for 36 for all the other ASU starters where Trey Holder was going for 31, including 15 of 16 from the foul line. Arizona State was held to a season-low 37.9% shooting from the floor. Meanwhile, Arizona, they were the second-ranked team in the country in the preseason polls, returning Alonzo Trier, getting DeAndre Aton. He had the uh, highlight that coming out of the break there. These guys are loaded with talent, and yet... And yet, you can have all the talent in the world and have one of the best coaches in the country in Sean Miller and still not necessarily have it all come together, especially early. These are college kids, 18, 19 years old. We say this about Kentucky each and every year. They've got all the young talent in the world, but they're young cats used to playing isolation AAU ball. And when coaches try to you know, implement a system with these talented kids, it takes time. Same thing's going to be said for Oregon. With all their new faces, like Troy Brown Jr. and Elijah Brown and VJ Bailey, MJ Cage, all these guys, it's going to take time. That's why I think it's, if you're a Duck fan, you could be a little bit more optimistic for the second half of the season than you were for the first half, in spite of it being a much more difficult conference schedule than what you've experienced up to this point. Flashing back to Arizona, they lost three of their four games in the Bahamas in November at the Battle for Atlantis Tournament. Keep that in mind. A team that was second-ranked, in the preseason top 25, lost three of four at Battle for Atlantis. Everybody was wondering what was going on with Sean Miller and the Wildcats. Remember, they were getting caught up in that scandal as well. They had that assistant coach arrested when the FBI was investigating the Adidas scandal. But since they've come back from the Bahamas, Arizona has averaged over 83 points a game as a team since late November. Averaging over 83 points a game. They're on fire. Right now, the Wildcats, best team in the conference in terms of field goal percentage, shooting 51.5%. Best team in the conference in three-point percentage at 39.5%. Arizona this week at Utah Thursday, at Colorado Saturday. Keep in mind, circle that matchup tomorrow night at Utah. Duck fans already know this. The Utes are very, very physical, very good on defense. Yes, they're limited offensively, but as you saw on Friday night when Utah went into Oregon, all they got to do is get hot for a half. That's all they got to do. Oregon was up by eight at the end of the first half. Utah comes out in the second half, shoots 50%. They win 66-56. They held the Ducks to 56 points. Larry Chris Koyak always knows how to coach defense. The Utes are the Pac-12's best scoring defense, allowing an average of under 67 points a game to their opponent. So here you are. I have an Arizona team averaging over 83 points a game since their Bahamas fallout and a Utah team that is leading the conference in scoring defense to this point. Those two teams meet, keep this in mind, in Salt Lake City tomorrow night so keep an eye on that one i think that's one of the premier games in the pac-12 uh, without a doubt as for arizona state just flip that around for them after losing at arizona last week they are at colorado and then at utah talk about ucla offensively they're doing some really good things aaron holiday one of their better players and leaders had a career high 33 points in a recent victory over washington state they also defeated university of washington uh uw man they're they're really just working going from the ground up right now 74 53 was the final when ucla was able to top the huskies i don't think ucla's success is very sustainable i think alford's gonna have them probably fourth in the conference but this week they are at stanford as three and a half point favorites the bruins are and then UCLA goes to Cal 
uh, on the 6th of January on Saturday as well. And then UCLA will get to come back home to take on Utah and Colorado. We talked about Washington. They're also 1-1 one one to uh, start conference play. 11-4 overall. Cal is 1-0, 7-7 overall. Washington State, dumpster fire. They're 0-2 in conference. They can't stop anybody. They have no defense. And by the way, quick note on defense before I forget. For as good as Arizona State is in terms of offensive talent, you're looking at the Ken Palm ratings, if you know Ken Pomeroy. Any uh, diligent, decent college basketball fan knows the name Ken Pomeroy. And if you don't, go to KenPalm.com, and you can find all his adjusted ratings for tempo, for offense, for defense, um, for points off turnovers, for ratings. He's got a bunch of sophisticated, nuanced systems that are really uh, on point in terms of analyzing and projecting success in March Madness in the tournament. But he made a good point. Arizona State right now, in the triple digits in terms of defensive rating, when you adjust for opponent and you adjust for tempo, ASU cannot play defense right now. I think long-term, that's going to hold them back from doing anything of significance in March. But right now, hey, it's fun to see the Sun Devils play some good ball. At the very top, you got Nova doing their thing despite the recent loss to Butler, and you've got the fighting Izzos in Michigan State at number two. Michigan State right now a top 10 offense, but a top two defense in the country. That is going to get Sparty into the Final Four this year. I'm calling it right now. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back for one final segment on Quack Attack on this Wednesday night here in Portland, Oregon. Danny Moran of the Oregonian and Oregon Live joins us, giving a beaver perspective to the Civil War Friday night in Corvallis for Oregon and Oregon State. That's coming up in about four minutes. This is a Quack Attack with Judah Newby on 1029, 750 The Game. You're listening to Quack Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 The Game. You know, it's no secret. One of the perks of hosting uh, Sports Talk Radio. For me, my favorite perk, I gotta lie, I'm so vain. I just love the bump music. Chris Barty behind the board, he knows this. I'm a music guy. I love playing my own bumps. It's uh, it's a good thing. For that reason alone, I'm grateful to host Quack Attack each and every Wednesday night. This is the debut show of Quack Attack for college basketball so far in 2018. And in our final segment, we're going to go to the phones right now and uh, talk to a good friend of mine, Danny Moran of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. You can follow him on Twitter. At Danny J. Moran, he covers the Oregon State Beavers beat. And uh, he's got Ducks and Beavers Friday night in the Civil War at Gill Coliseum in Corvallis. Good evening, Danny. How you doing, man? I'm great, Rita. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. Happy New Year. How's the uh, How's 2018 treating you so far? It's good. It's good. I was in Chicago for a little bit before the New Year actually got going, where it was about zero degrees a couple of those last days that I was there. So it's a little chilly coming back, but uh, given what I was just dealing with, I'm pretty happy right now. Yeah, I spent a couple of years out there in the Windy City, so I still have Chicago weather on my iPhone, and from <laughs> time to time I'll flip through it, and, you know, I don't have much sympathy, you know, being over there, but... It's it's been cold everywhere in the country. So people walking outside and it's in the low 30s and maybe a little bit breezy in Portland. Don't complain. It's it's worse pretty much everywhere else right now, Danny. Um, no, it hurts to breathe in the Midwest right now. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Thankfully, basketball is an indoor sport, and you've been covering the Oregon State uh, beat both football and basketball for some time now. 
And we, we talk about the Beavers. Nine and five overall. That catches my eye. I think that catches a lot of casual basketball fans' eye so far, considering that last year did not go as planned for Wayne Tinkle and company. It was a very challenging year for them. Um, really not that far removed from being a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. So for if you were to talk about the Beavers to this point in the season for someone that hasn't followed them, how have they gotten to nine and five? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I mean, getting back Trace Tinkle has been huge. Obviously, he only played six games last year before breaking his wrist, missed the rest of the season. He was, you know, their do-everything player for them once he went out last year. Right now, leaving the team both in scoring and rebounding, and he's right up there in assists to about .1 assists off the lead uh, among the team. And since they lost to Corey McLaughlin, who was their point guard, former four-star recruit, who elected to transfer after six games, Tinkle, uh, along with the Thompson brothers, Stephen and Ethan, they've really kind of shared, in a sense, point guard duties. I mean, you'll see Stevie Thompson typically bring up the ball in that role, but once they get past half court, it's it's been a, you know, I guess spread out pretty equally amongst the perimeter players, um, occasionally getting the ball inside to Drew Eubanks, although less frequently than last year. Uh, so just much improved offensively. You know, last season, obviously, they ranked last in pretty much every category among Pac-12 teams, really at the bottom end of every Power 5 ranking, both offensively and defensively. Uh, so this year, I mean, they're, they're a little bit deeper. They've, they've got some freshmen who have come in and made an impact, Ethan Thompson being the main one. They've gotten some really nice contributions from Alfred Hollins, another freshman, kind of a a swing player. You can play anywhere from the two to the four off the bench. Um, so having a little bit of depth there has, has helped them. And, and I'd say honestly, too, I mean, they had a pretty soft schedule, in all honesty, uh, which I think this team needed, given that they were young, that they were coming off a five-win season. I think that helped them get going uh, after starting off the year two and three. Can you tell us what happened at the end of this Utah game? I know it went down to the wire, and it was a brutal loss, two-point loss for the Beavers. And it involved a sideline out-of-bounds violation in the final 20 seconds. What happened there from your vantage point, and what was the takeaway from that defeat? Yeah, you know, the big, the big takeaway, one, is that Oregon State battled back. I mean, a, a common theme this year is, you know, one, giving up uh, second-half leads. I mean, they were down at, at a couple different points in that game, but they got back up to six points, ended up trailing by eight with about three minutes to go battled back to within one possession. They had three shots at, the, at taking the lead or tying the game. None of them went in, but a jump ball gave them a ch- another chance with 1.4 seconds to go. Ethan Thompson was the inbounder, and as I mentioned, you know, one of the key freshmen who's uh, really helped bolster that depth this year. But, you know, he made a mistake that, you know, is, is a freshman mistake, and, you know, it can happen. He basically shuffled his feet to the left on the out-of-bounds pass and was called for a travel. It's not one that, not a call that you're used to seeing at that point in the game with basically, you know, eliminating Oregon State's last chance at a, at a victory or tying the game before it even got started. But by the leather of the law, that, that was the right call. You know, he did he did undoubtedly kind of shuffle his feet over to the left and, and was called for a travel. And so that ended Oregon State's chance. It's a tough way to go out, but I think they know um, – you know, they're, they're really learning how to win again. You know, again, when you go through a five-win season, which, you know, a lot of the older guys on this team have now been to an NCAA tournament and had a five-win season, uh, I, I think it does, you know, rattle some guys. And so they've had a lot of close games this year. Some they've pulled out, some they haven't. Um, so I think at, at this point, being 9-5, nine, 1-1 nine one one conference is per, a 
pretty fair representation of how they've been. I, I, I think to their credit, they've played a lot better in Pac-12 play, even though it's just been one weekend, than we saw during non-conference play. I mean, they had some weaker competition, as I mentioned. They were able to kind of get away from, you know, with some things that uh, they knew would bite them if it, if it came down to that in Pac-12 play. So I think coming away from that weekend one-and-one, one, even though that's a tough loss against Utah, I think the way they dominated Colorado – uh, it gives them a good opportunity now to, you know, get one against the Ducks and the NB two and one. And this is going to be a tough one because the schedule doesn't let up. Then they've got the Arizona schools in Arizona. They've got the LA schools after that, and then the Ducks again in Eugene. So this will be a pretty important one on Friday. What do you make of Wayne Tinkle's uh, coaching season so far with Oregon State? He was on the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano this afternoon and said that last season tested his sanity, and I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Uh, considering how last year went, moving into this year, what have you seen out of Coach Tingle? Yeah, I think anyone who had to go through it had tested all of our sanity, you know, to have to you know, <laughs> deal with it day-to-day on a week-to-week basis. But Journal- no, it, Journalists it was, are was, not immune. Journalists are not <laughs> immune to struggles. It, it, it was tough, and I mean, he's told me that it's it's out there you know in print i mean that that was the toughest year of his coaching career by far and i mean it's understandable looking at the record i mean you know in addition to losing praise tinkle i mean they had the unexpected uh departure of malcolm Devivier, who's now at akron he you know he sat out the year for personal reasons uh you know there's a, a number of factors that that went into making that season so tough obviously ben Kone, uh you know who was supposed to be, you know, a contributor early on. He, he's actually given them some good minutes recently at power forward as a sophomore, but he was coming off a torn ACL that he suffered as a senior in high school. So just a, a collection of things went really, uh, really wrong and, and left them without a lot of depth. I, I think the best thing you could probably say about, you know, Wayne Tinkle this year is the way that, you know, they lost, losing to Corey McLaughlin, even though he really struggled at point guard, in those first six games, as I mentioned, and actually was benched in what ended up being his last game, you know, didn't start. Uh, I, I thought that really limited what their ceiling was because if he could have kind of given them average production, at least as a point guard, you know, they, they would really have, you know, the depth in the, on the perimeter and they would have had, you know, just kind of a more experienced, you know, core as far as, you know, their guard play. They lost that. And so being able to navigate to this season to this point with you know Stephen Thompson Jr., who's not a natural point guard, even though he's played the position quite a bit in college, you know to have Ethan Thompson, you know, have to do that much as a freshman, and then obviously Trace Tinkle, who I mentioned has been doing just a little bit of everything for them. Uh, that's tough to kind of figure that out on the fly, and they've acknowledged. I mean, I think the McLaughlin his decision to leave caught everybody totally off guard. You know, even though he wasn't playing well, and there were signs that, you know, maybe it was overwhelming a bit for him at, at the college level at this point. So, uh, you know, I think this team is maybe getting to the point where they hoped they'd be. That there at least have been some signs this past weekend that they could be peaking, hopefully at the right time for their sake, but. This will be a huge test now, as I mentioned, coming up. I think this schedule is really going to give Oregon State a test. And I think the the biggest test that Wayne Tinkle will have now is to get them out of this feeling confident, you know, for their sake, hopefully a couple wins under their belt, even if it's an upset. And then they're going to hit a bit of a softer stretch when they get the Bay Area schools and the Washington schools. And that's maybe where they could put some more wins up on the board. On that note, last thing for you, Danny, how do you see the Beavers matching up with the Ducks? And how important is it for Oregon State to have this initial Civil War matchup at home? I think it's big, you know, for all the reasons I mentioned, you know, 
confidence issues, just, you know, wanting to feel good about getting a win. I mean, this is still a young team, even though there are a couple guys on the roster who have really played a lot of minutes in their college career. Uh, Wayne Tinkle, you know, acknowledged they're still looking for some more leadership outside of Trace Tinkle, who's a team captain. So, Given that the Ducks at this point are still kind of figuring themselves out, that they've got so many new pieces, you know, Oregon State's in the rare position, you know, of this rivalry right now to have more continuity on their roster. I mean, you look at the Ducks, it's really just Peyton Pritchard uh, who has experience in this rivalry, significant experience in this rivalry where, you know, Drew Eubanks, Trace Tinkle, Stephen Thompson Jr. all have, you know, gone through the wars a little bit over these past two years. So uh, I, I think to have it at home, to have the home court advantage, particularly given how much they struggled in Eugene the past two years, uh, that's going to be big. But, you know, I think that's why it's important for them, particularly even though we're still in early January, to come away with a win just with how tough that schedule is going to be coming forward. The 9-5 and five Beavers host the 11-4 and four Ducks Friday night at Gill Coliseum. Danny Moran of the Oregonian and Oregon Live just broke it down from us from an Oregon State perspective. Follow him on Twitter at Danny J. Moran. Danny, good to talk to you, my friend. Happy New Year, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Of course, Judah. Talk to you again soon. That is Danny Moran, and you can catch all the action Friday night right here on the game. It's a 7 p.m. tip-off on Friday. We'll have pregame from KXTG and Oregon IMG starting at 6 p.m. That wraps it up on the initial quack attack of 2018. Logic playing our way out. Thank you, Chris Partee, my man behind the glass. He's getting everything rolling. Coming up next, it will be Pharrell on the bench in CBS Sports Radio. This has been the Quack Attack here on 1029750 The Game. I'm Judah Newby. I'll see you back in this chair next Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. In the meantime, tune in Friday night, 7 p.m. tip-off TV on FS1. Ducks, Beavers, Civil War from Corvallis. Have a good night, everybody. It's that time of year again. Time for the season of savings at Power Kia. Power Kia is going to brighten up your holidays during Kia's Light Up the Holiday Sales event.